Those goosebumps every time, yeah You come around, yeah You ease my mind, you make everything feel fine Worry about those comments I'm way too numb, yeah It's way too dumb, yeah I get those goosebumps every time And here we go Live from the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios It's overtime William Patterson, Dawson Wise, and Jace Brown Joining you on a Monday night 865-546-8200, your number if you want to hop in and join our conversation. Uh, later on in the hour, we'll talk about court crashing. It is causing a storm as of late, uh, no pun intended there. Also, our takeaways from the um, CBB College Basketball Weekend. Uh, we'll talk about the Kentucky-Alabama game, Houston and Baylor. And we'll also take a look at a possible path for some of these bubble teams in the SEC. We'll also talk about the Lady Vols and a, a tough one uh, with LSU on Sunday. But first, let's head to the phones. We've got Zach on the line. What's up, Zach? It's causing a storm as of late. No fun What's up, Zach? So our takeaways from the um... – Zach, you hear us? Did he drop? Yeah. Zach, drop. Hey, Zach, call back. Uh, we, we'd love to hear from you. Um, 865-546-8200 if you want to call back and join the conversation. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's move on. Let's talk about the court crashing causing a storm. The floodgates burst before the final buzzer sounded. Although given the record crowd inside Lawrence Joel Veterans Memorial Coliseum on Saturday, maybe that shouldn't have been a surprise. Nearly 15,000 Wake Forest fans had crammed into the building to watch their team take on number eight Duke and hopefully to bear witness to a resume-affirming win, one that would solidify the Demon Deacons as an NCAA tournament team. Imagine their excitement then during the game's final timeout with 1.8 seconds left when they were on the preface of a 83-79 home win. Uh, when Duke's uh, subsequent inbounds pass was uh, intercepted, it was all the signal uh, for students to begin flooding to midcourt. One issue, though, Duke star Kyle Filipowski hadn't gone off the court uh, before the celebration broke out, and multiple fans made contact with him while running at full speed. Uh, Filipowski appeared to get turned around, then injured, before a Duke manager reached out to him in the frenzy, uh, forming a human barrier against the raging court storm. Uh, soon, other Duke staffers and players joined in, all protecting Filipowski as he limped off the floor. Um, this event has raised concerns and, and caused some issues about court storming. Um, and I'll begin with my take on this. And look, uh, court storming is just a part of college sports. We see yes. it at the, at the college football level. We see it in college basketball. Um, you know, people will be like, well, you don't see it in the NFL and the NBA. Well, yes, you don't. But it's a little bit of a different demographic of fans that attend these games. <laughs> Keep in mind um, that the students and players on the court are classmates and, and, and the same age as all of us in the stands. There's a little bit more of a connection there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, 6'9 and, and – um, you know, have won four national or four NBA titles like LeBron James. Like we're not the same there. But the thing that makes college sports so fun is that you know these athletes are our age, and 
and they feel the same uh, energy that we do after yeah. a big win. And and in these events where you're able to knock off a, a number uh, number eight team in Duke and also a blue blood in Duke, um, there's going to be a lot of energy in the building. And and trying to keep a, st- a court storing from happening is nearly impossible. Um, we saw like four of them this past week. We saw Creighton when they beat UConn, yep. Ohio State when they beat Purdue, mm-hmm. uh, Penn State when they beat Illinois. Mm-hmm. It's a part of it. It's a part of college athletics. Um, it should not be banned. And we'll talk more about this in a minute, but – I think there are ways to make this safer um, and may and, and ways to make it to where we're not having incidents like where Filipowski is getting hurt. I'm not condoning that Filipowski's injury is okay. Right. Uh, you don't, you never want to see a guy get yeah. injured, especially of his caliber. Yeah. Um, but there have been plenty of court stormings where that has not happened. Right. So just because one event happens doesn't mean they're all uh, necessarily bad. Um, I do not think they should be banned, and also even if you ban it, um, which it's really not even allowed. It's not like you can just run on the court anytime you want. There's plenty of security there to stop these people. It's hard to stop, you know, 1,500 students running at you full speed if you're one security officer. I'm sure they'd uh, just turn away. Um, they don't need it. There's there's no point in trying to ban this. It will still happen regardless. But there are ways to put regulations in place to make it a lot safer. Should court storming be banned? No. Absolutely not. I mean, court storming, field storming is one of the traditions of college sports. It's part of why we love it so much. Yeah. You know, if you're a fan of one of these teams, you know, it's it's to the point you beat one of these teams, you're going to go out there. You're going to run out there. And I mean, you know, it does sound rich coming from those of us here in Knoxville because, you know, a couple of years ago, we did it. We stormed yeah. the field and we beat Alabama and tore down the goalpost. It's a tradition. It's something that you look back on that picture, you know, for years to come and say, you know, I remember where I was that night. I'm right there on the field. I'm right there on the court. It's the kind of thing that people look forward to in college sports when you get a win like this. Uh, It seems like this conversation, I don't remember it happening before this year. Uh, You know, I know there were a couple of people that said, well, maybe you shouldn't do it after we beat Alabama a couple of years ago, but it wasn't on this level where you had coaches um, publicly saying you shouldn't be storming the court. I know, I know John Shire had a, a very, not animated uh, rant against it, but he was very pointed in what he said uh, because, again, his star player had just gotten injured. Um, but it seems like this Filipowski incident and the Caitlin Clark incident against yes, Ohio those State were very close yes. together, seem yeah. to be the two that have kind of sparked this with star players yeah. getting injured. Yeah. Now, Clark did not end up injured. Uh, she, she, she ended flopped. up walking off. She's fine. Um, but, you know, I think those two have kind of sparked it. This doesn't happen as often as people think. Yeah. I mean, again, four in the last week, only one resulted in any kind of injury, uh, and it was at Wake Forest. Um, and so I, I just don't think this is as big a problem as, as some are making it out to me because it just doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Um, it, it could be. I think it needs to be changed before it's banned. Mm. See if you can fix it before you outright say you can't do it. Uh, in my opinion, banning it's just a step too far at first. Try other things first. If that doesn't work, okay, then we can have that conversation. But don't. Well, you can't do it anymore. Well, what can we do to change it so we still can do it? Well, we're not even gonna. We're not even gonna. You know, go with that conversation. Yeah. I think even if they try to ban it, though, it's not gonna work. I mean, it doesn't matter how. How many do you secret- enforce that? How are you gonna stop it? How do you enforce that? It doesn't matter how many big um, muscular you're gonna stop guys. thousands of people. Yeah. How many? How many muscular dudes <laughs> can you round up to yeah. be like, and hey, you'll get paid ten they bucks an tried hour to stand at that in Alabama the heat. game too a couple years ago at Neyland. If you remember, oh, they, they had just a stand with ton their arms of security at that. game. Game. Yeah. A ton, and they still can't they don't stop do, it. Um, they, you can't do anything. The yeah. argument I saw is that the, well, the, you shouldn't have fans that close to the players. Okay, tell that to the environments in college basketball that have the students right on top. If you, yeah. and ironically, Cameron Indoor, 
uh, <laughs> has their students right on top of the players when they're on the sideline. Yeah. Uh, and, and so is that any different? You know, you could still reach out and potentially touch that player in the same way as if you're on the court. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell that to the to the environments, to, to the arenas that have yeah. the students close to the players. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it definitely shouldn't be banned. I mean, like like y'all hit on. I mean, this is something that's almost exclusive to college sports. It's what sets it apart. Because I mean, like you said, William, these are our peers. I mean, we're in class with with some of these guys. Like I'm in class with Adu. I've been in class with some of the baseball guys. Uh, you interact with these guys and and girls just about every day. Uh, so I mean, seeing them succeed and also taking pride in a place where you study, uh, where you provide money towards, that's that's something that shouldn't be frowned upon. Uh, and if things spill over, so what? Uh, again, it it gets it does feel weird that it's starting to spark conversation just because of one incident which i mean whenever uh filipowski f- uh first got hit quote unquote by a wake forest student he kind of you know shoved the guy a little bit anyways before he got he toppled did. over that's, just a little bit true. yeah so i mean i'm, I'm not going to put that fully on filipowski but i mean uh there are ways to get around this where you know, guys aren't getting trampled over. Hey, maybe don't walk off the court when you see thousands of people coming onto the court. Maybe, you know, put a little pep in your step, get off the court, uh, and, and that might not happen to you. I, mean, I, I get you just lost a close one, but, man, you, you got to, you know, think about it. It's survival instincts. That's how, that's how that works. But, uh, you know, to outright ban it this quick is just absolutely a crazy thing to bring up because, uh, I mean, like you said, it, it brings up some of those, like, you know, remember when things. Like, do you remember when we beat Alabama? I absolutely do. I wasn't even at the game. I remember exactly where I was. Yeah. Uh, you know, people create memories that way. Uh, so I, I think it, it, it takes out of uh, what makes college sports sort of magical in, in a sense. Uh, so I, I definitely don't ban this, especially off of just a one-off sort of deal. So here's my way to fix it. And if you're going to put changes in place, um, this is what I propose. So after the game is ended, you allow the opposing team to walk off the court. Get get them off the court, allow for people to kind of set up for it. Um, And then once they are all cleared, then you could redo, uh, you could, you know, put 20 seconds up on on the clock Kind of have another anticipation thing. Bring the team, bring the team that won to you know the middle of the court, wherever they want to be, and kind of make it a situation where everyone is kind of waiting for the the countdown for the um, the floodgates to open. And when that when that buzzer sounds and everyone crashes and everyone there wants to be there, right? right. If, if the people that don't want to be a part of it, the coaches, you know, can you imagine if Tennessee crashed the court and Rick Barnes is in the middle of that? You know, I, <laughs> I don't want him, you know, I don't want him getting, you know, paraded by that. So um, I think that way you can still promote an anticipation and also promote a, a fun court storming environment just mere seconds after the game. It's like, mm. it's not like you're waiting 10 minutes for the game to be over. Um, it, it, I think that's the best way to go about it. If you are considering making changes, um, just let the court, let the guys get off the court, give them the all clear, put 20 seconds up on the shot clock, run it down, buzzer sounds, everyone goes. I think that'd be fun um, and, and kind of kind of a, a cool cool twist on, on on some possible regulations. Any anything? 
uh, you you would like to see maybe. I actually wrote that one down too. Give them mm. a, give them a, a little bit of time to get off the court. It doesn't have to be like a super long time. Oh, we're gonna wait ten minutes. Okay, no, but just let them at least get out of out of the way of this court storming so that we don't have this anymore. Um, so that you know people aren't saying, well, we should ban court storming. Well, just give them a few seconds to get off the court, and we won't have this problem. Get rid of the interaction altogether. I think. There was a picture I saw on Twitter over the weekend after this happened. I cannot remember for the life of me what team it was, but the security kind of pushed the court storm away from the visitor's bench. And I don't know if you guys saw this picture, but it was there was a court storm, but the area around the visitor's bench was empty, and it allowed them plenty of room to still operate and get to the locker room, mm-hmm. even while the court storm's happening. I don't know if you try that. Again, I don't know how hard that would be yeah. to yeah. do, uh, but maybe just you know get some, some extra – give them some extra breathing room right around their bench. Maybe that would help. Uh, even if you don't want to allow the extra time, I think that's probably the best way. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, I mean, the only other thing would be to like punish people that run into players in court storms. But I mean, what these people are running full speed, and, and you got guys walking trying to get off the court. Yeah. So ultimately, I think your idea is probably best: allow some time, get them off the court, and then let everybody. Celebrate. Yeah, definitely put an emphasis of getting <laughs> you know players and coaches off the field or the court just just for their safety. Again, uh, you know, maybe put more of an emphasis on physical barriers. I, I think that's something that, that could be, be implemented, especially in basketball, uh, just because, you know, we're – especially at, at TBA, you're you're down the steps. That's all it is, and you're on the court. So, right. I mean, putting up something in front of that might be able to slow things down. But, uh, again, I, I think – because, uh, you know, you, you can't hire all these security guards. I, I, I think the best thing to do is just, you know, give a little bit of time, you know, maybe like a four- or five-minute window, be like, hey, be sure to grab everything, get off the court, uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll get the party going here soon. Yeah, let's uh, head to the phones real quick. We got uh, 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 Patrick on the line, 865-546-8200, your number if you want to hop in. Uh, Patrick, what's up? Hey, what do you say, gentlemen? Good evening. Good evening. How are you? I'm doing well. I just wanted to call in on this Flipikowski Duke nonsense. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. That, listen, that video, he saw the kid coming. He was going to give him a forearm and trip him, and he got the short end of the stick. And, I, I mean, if I was a coach, I don't know. I, I, I just It's just such a bad look, like, oh, there, you know. It's, it's it's coaches never they they never want to talk about reality you know sure um, it, it should just be hey listen um, th- this is part of college sports this is why we love college sports uh, we certainly don't want to dampen the fans celebration and exuberance because we're here for them and because of them I just hate that my player got injured yeah. but instead you take a whole swipe at the reason why you're – because, literally, these are – these are. I mean, they're, they're not you and I. I mean, these are multimillionaire coaches and now well-off, certain well-off players. And, you know, well, interestingly, North Carolina rushed the floor not long ago against when they beat Duke. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, there was not a – Huge uproar over that, and so it, it's you know, and and I was trying to look back on my phone, but but I would venture to bet that there have been times in the past where the Cameron crazies have rushed the floor. You, it, you can't tell me that's never happened, 
with all those kids that close to the floor. Now, I do think you can do things like what you guys suggested. You can say, hey, I mean, they already have a rule. There is a rule that says you cannot rush the court. Yeah. You cannot come on the court. There are things you can't go on the field. Some tickets at some venues say you you may be prosecuted yes. for this. And and so it is prohibited. It's just what how are you going to now you can give the nod and say, We know this is gonna happen, you know, let's say Tennessee wins all four of their next games and they're gonna be they're gonna win the SEC outright. Sure. So you just come on and say <clears throat> Do not come on the on the court for the first sixty seconds. We will we will announce to you when you can come on the court. The players are going to stay. The coaches are going to stay. But we want to show respect for our opponent. Yeah, you know, and and people, I think would cooperate. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and you know, and so I think I just think it's all this. All these announced these sports guys, they're so holier than thou. They they're so insulated and separated from the it's it's well they're they're journalists, you know. They they sit in on press row and they get to go sit in the skybox and, you know, hobnob with the elite of the world and, and we're we're better than you all. Listen, if it wasn't for the players and the fans there wouldn't be what we know as college sports now. And frankly, if there weren't fans, this wouldn't be who, – who liked COVID when you couldn't go to a game? Yeah. I mean, I watched games on TV, but it wasn't the same. No. And if you, if you told me now that is sports, that all you have is what you see on TV. Now, I watch Tennessee because I'm in Atlanta, but I'm from Knoxville. I've only been here for six years. But if all your sports um, history and all your connection to a sport is watching it on TV, that sport's not going to survive. No. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. But, um, but I, I am I am happy that the, the Vols put it to uh, A&M. That, yes. was a, that second half was really um, a, a memorable – watch just they kind of started really clicking and you know i've heard you guys talk about well you know they're they're a little bit different team on the road and you know i I was one to say why can't you just go and win wherever you're you're supposed to be a good basketball team but you know you look from one to 12 in the rankings and you got teams left to right falling on their face yeah I mean, you got UConn got blown out last week, um, and and so it's a it's a difficult. I think it's because the teams are flawed. I, I don't, um, you know, I, I don't know exactly what that explanation is, but. Um, well, I think it goes back to you know, you know as we're talking about the the environments, you know, uh, it goes back to those environments as well. Creighton did a. A striped out game for UConn. Um, you know, we right. did the, the checkerboard game. The home environments carry a lot of weight. 
Um, and I think especially if you're a top team in the country, you know you're going to get the very best out of the opposing venue. Um, Ohio State is not a good basketball team, but Purdue got Ohio State's best last Sunday. A very ruckus right. environment. They just fired their coach on Wednesday. They didn't care. It was Purdue's coming to town. Let's turn it up a notch. And and sometimes teams just play well at home and are able to elevate their game depending on who comes to town. Um, so I think that aspect is involved with it as well. But also, I just think it's because college basketball and really college athletics through the portal and NIL has really started to balance out each year. Um, and you've got talented players across the board. Hunter Salas for Wake Forest um, on, on Saturday. Uh, 26 points, was dominant the whole night. Uh, it started off the game 9 of 10. He was a McDonald's All-American three years ago. Did not touch the court for Gonzaga. Transfers over to Wake Forest and now is the star of the show and was on Saturday. Right. It, it just shows that you know a lot of these guys – they might might be on some of these lesser schools or lesser teams, but they've got talent, and if they're up to and they're playing at their best, you know these are guys that are former top 100 recruits, former McDonald's All Americans. They might not be at the UConns and Purdue's of the world, but they've got talented players, and and when those guys feed off the energy of the crowd, um, Penn State, for example, Penn State's terrible, and they were able to come back by down seven. With 30 seconds left and beat Illinois, um, it, it just uh, and Penn State's best player is a, a, a UNC transfer, Cam Johnson's little brother. Yep. Um, and, and he played there in the national championship two years ago. I just think that it, it it is balanced out so much, and it's hard to play on the road because of the environments and how balanced out the league is. Uh, and going back to Filipowski, you know, uh, and court storming, it will never be possible to prevent a mass mob of college students uh, charging the court. Um, you know, getting up on uh, – you've seen all these guys get up on TV today saying that you should arrest them and find them. Yeah, please tell me how you're going to plan on arresting 1,500 students at one time. <laughs> I'd love to see that. And it's already – it's it's already – yeah. Go ahead. Your yellow, your yellow jacket guys, you know. <laughs> yeah. Man, they're like they don't want it. Man, they want their ten, twelve bucks an hour, and they want to go home. They get they get a couple free hot dogs and a soda. Hey, it's not a. <laughs> it, they don't. They don't. It's not uh, in the in the criteria of the job to stop a mob of fifteen hundred students. I'm pretty sure. And, and most of them probably got their Tennessee orange or their Duke, you know, Blue Devil shirt on underneath their jacket. Yeah, hell, hell, they might want to join them. <laughs> 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 well, guys, listen, I got a jump. Hey, y'all have a good night. I appreciate it. Uh, you as well. Thank you so much for calling in, Patrick. Uh, when we come back, we'll wrap around the college basketball weekend. We'll talk about the Duke and Wake Forest game and many others right here on Overtime. The superbly versatile all-electric EQB from Mercedes-Benz, a compact SUV that's full of big surprises. An optional fold-out third row offers luxurious comfort for up to seven occupants and almost 24 cubic feet of cargo space means this compact SUV is big enough to handle anything you can throw at it or in it. You can set the tone any way you like with 64 color customizable ambient lighting throughout. And just like every other Mercedes-Benz EV, the EQB features the very latest generation MBUX voice activated tech. 
So whether you want to set a new destination, change the tunes, or tune up the heat, all you have to say is, hey, Mercedes. This vehicle's all electric. The feeling's all Mercedes. Test drive the EQB today at your local dealer or learn more at MBUSA.com EQB. That's MBUSA.com EQB. I was afraid to cut the cord, but once I did, I couldn't believe it took so long to do it. Paying too much for my cable bill had become a bad habit. I either wasn't getting what I wanted or never knew where to find any of my favorite shows until it was too late. Plus, the prices just kept going up. Thankfully, I discovered a new way to watch called Philo. For just $25 a month, I can catch all my favorite shows on networks like BET, MTV, and TLC. It even has Nickelodeon for my kids. I can watch anytime I want, anywhere I want. Plus, Philo lets me have up to three streams at once, so everyone can watch what they want at the same time. Throw in the unlimited DVR that saves all my favorites for up to a year, and this really is the best deal in TV. I just wish I hadn't waited so long. Sound too good to be true? Well, try it out for yourself, and you'll see why people who love TV love Philo. Go to philo.tv, that's P-H-I-L-O dot TV, and start your seven-day free trial now. Life insurance. Why are you putting it off? Can't afford it? Too much hassle? Think you don't need it? There's lots of excuses for putting off life insurance. But if you weren't there, who would pay the mortgage and other bills? With Ethos, you could be covered in 10 minutes and boom, family protected. Ethos, fast and easy online term life insurance. Up to $2 million in coverage with no medical exam. Some policies as low as a dollar a day. Answer a few health questions and get your free quote at getethos.com. That's getethos.com. Is your home's exterior in need of a makeover? If so, it's time to call North Knox Siding and Windows. Transform your home's curb appeal with premium siding options. From classic to modern styles, they've got something to suit every taste. Upgrade to energy-efficient windows that'll keep your home comfortable all year round while saving you money on your energy bills. North Knox Siding and Windows. Get ready to fall in love with your home all over again. Online at NorthKnoxSidingAndWindows.com. Back here on Overtime, great conversation with our caller, Patrick, um, earlier on in the hour. Um, we were talking about the um, storming of the court in the Wake Forest and Duke game, but there were also some other storylines in that one that I think are worth noting as we now transition to our takeaways from the college basketball weekend. Um, going to this Duke-Wake Forest game, uh, Wake Forest has been undefeated at home this season, 15-0, and and um, is vying for an NCAA tournament bid, playing at home against a Duke team that um, I said on Friday I think is a little bit overvalued just because of their logo. I think they're a good team, not a great one, um, and not one of these traditional Duke powerhouse teams that they usually, usually had. I like Proctor, I like Roach, I like Filipowski. I just don't think there's a lot special about this team. And Wake Forest – um, was able to shoot the ball really, really well against this team. Hunter Salas, who uh, I mentioned with Patrick, um, what a story for him. A guy that came into Wake Forest this year um, having, quote, no confidence in himself. Um, after riding the pine for two years in Gonzaga, uh, comes over to Wake Forest, gets an opportunity to play at an at a ACC school, 
and in the biggest game of his career puts up 26 points and is a the main reason why this team was able to win. What does this loss say about Duke and Wake Forest? And and, and do the Demon Deacons deserve a bid now? Well, for, for Duke, I think it just confirms what we already had been saying about this Duke team, and that's just that they're not the Duke that we're used to seeing um, and that they're not the super elite Duke that maybe they had over the past few years. I, I don't think they're as good as last year's team. I said that last week, um, and this, to me, proves it. Uh, they just – and all the firepower that we're used to seeing out of Duke, they're not that ultra-dominant team that's going to beat you by double digits every night. Um, and they, they just don't have that anymore. So um, they don't have the aura. They don't have that, that title-winning mm-hmm. like aura around them. You think, oh, that team's going to win a championship. They just don't feel like that anymore. It feels like they're going to trip up again in the tournament, maybe early. Uh, this is a team that, again, I think uh, just – has the offensive lack or lack thereof that they could lose on the opening weekend again, lose second round yeah. um, and not even make the second weekend. So we'll see. Um, but I just think it, it confirms what we already knew about them. For Wake Forest, I think it does earn them a bit. I mean, they're undefeated on home court in conference play still. This is the kind of statement win that the selection committee says, that's what we were looking for. You're in the field of 68. Um, to me, they're playing good enough basketball, especially offensively, that I think they've absolutely earned a spot in the tournament. I think they're a matchup nightmare for several teams in the country. I would not want to see Wake Forest right now uh, for, for Tennessee, not saying we wouldn't beat them, but just because they're that kind of team, like an Oregon State a couple of years ago that could mm-hmm. win their first game, and all of a sudden, oh, they've got some momentum, and they go all the way to the Final Four. That's this kind of team, I think. Uh, it's who it reminds me of is that Oregon State team a couple of years ago. I wouldn't want to see them. I think it does earn them a bit in the, in the mm-hmm. March Madness. Uh, yeah, Duke, Duke just doesn't feel like that overwhelming – or they don't have an overwhelming presence like they used to. I, I think right. that comes with Coach K not being there anymore. Uh, but, I mean, of course they still have the talent. It's, it just doesn't feel the same. Right. Like, like Cameron Indoor is still going to be a crazy place to play, but they're they're not going to, you know, win some just outright games that they should all the time mm-hmm. like they're used to. Uh, as as for Wake Forest, I, I think this does put them in a playoff sp- or a uh, I guess tournament <laughs> spot. Uh, you know, again, you you talked about it, William. They're fifteen and zero at home, and they're sitting at what eighteen and nine. So that means they're three and nine away from their own house. Uh, so that's something to, to maybe be questionable about. Uh, but again, this is a statement win for the Demon Deacons. Uh, I, I think they can. Uh, maybe move themselves off the bubble talk uh, throughout the rest of this, uh, throughout the rest of the regular season. Maybe get a couple wins in the ACC tournament, uh, get themselves off the bubble talk. Yeah, Duke is seventh in adjusted offense, uh, 26th in adjusted defense. The, mm-hmm. the numbers are good. good. Yeah. Um, but there's just not a lot about this team that wows me night in and night out. Um, they've had a couple, a lot of their big opportunities in ACC play. I've been letdowns, in my opinion. Miami's not a good basketball team. Um, they beat them pretty handily last week. I don't value that as that big of a win. Uh, against North Carolina, you can't get it done. Um, Wake Forest, another tournament team, you can't get it done. Um, so I, I'm not saying this Duke team is not good. I just don't think they're a, a classic great Duke team. Um, and I like pieces on their team, Roach, Proctor, uh, and, and Filipowski. I just don't think this is a team that advanced past – the, the second weekend uh, of the tournament. Um, now, another game worth noting is Kentucky-Alabama. Uh, Kentucky led by as many as 37 points Saturday, uh, shot 63% from the field, hit 13 of 24 threes, and made Alabama's number one ranked offense uh, look like the junior varsity bomb squad 
for long stretches. Uh, the cats couldn't miss. Um, and, and Nate Oates didn't have very many answers either. He was uh, asking what kind of records Kentucky broke because he knew his defense just allowed a, a record-setting performance. In fact, the 117 points is the most UK has ever scored against an AP-ranked team most against an SEC team since 1996, and the third most anyone has hung on Alabama in its nearly 3,000 games of basketball played at University of Alabama. Uh, the last team to score that many points against a power conference opponent in regulation was Zion Williams and Zion Williamson and Duke, uh, and they hung 118 against Kentucky. So I guess they got a, a little bit of a well, there you go. comes around. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Um, the Ken- Kentucky scored 1.54 points per possession, um, and, and they never took their foot off the gas till really late in the game. Uh, what did this weekend show Kentucky and Alabama are at this point in the season? I'll start with Kentucky, and it shows me that they, if they show up, and if their guys, it's it's almost similar to Tennessee, where if their guys show up, if their stars show up, uh, they are an elite team talent-wise. Mm-hmm. They can make a run to the Final Four. Uh, Max talked about it a couple weeks ago. I know we talked about it last week. Just that you know, it, it's been these games where they don't show up. Like every every now and then, they'll have this game where they are just off in all facets of the game, and they go and lose to somebody like a Gonzaga on home floor that they shouldn't be losing to. Um, they're still really streaky, but I think this is probably their best performance of the year. And I don't know if it's relatively close. Yeah, uh, we've questioned this team at times. Did not question them at all on Saturday. Now my question would be: Can they keep it up? Can they do it again? Can you do it in back-to-back games? That's what you're going to have to do in the tournament. If they keep on being streaky, it's not going to get them anywhere, but they did show that their star power uh, is absolutely there. For Alabama, uh, we talked about last week how <coughs> their defense is a complete liability. Yeah. Um, and I said that's why I didn't think they would make th- – that's why I said they were one of the top 16 overall seeds that I said wouldn't make the second weekend is because their defense is just not very good. Uh, and this was – man, this was a bad defensive effort. I mean, yeah. The floodgates were open early and often – and Alabama was just never in this game because they could not get a stop to save their lives. Um, so it showed me that Alabama is vulnerable in the tournament and even in the next couple weeks, um, and that their defense is going to be more of a liability than we may have thought. Yeah, I, I think what what reigns true sort of all season kind of came to a culmination is, is both of these teams are pretty one-dimensional because, I mean, Kentucky still gave up 95 points. Now, granted, right. they outpaced Bama by 22 points by the end of it. Uh, but still, it it feels like defense is taking a backseat, which is something that's uh, you know defense is pretty emphasized in March because I mean teams are like some of these auto bid teams that are conference champs come in there uh, usually with pretty good defenses, uh, and sometimes they'll end up winning games that they aren't supposed to uh, from an outsider's viewpoint. Uh, you know, I, I think like you said, it's it feels like both of these teams uh, showed that they'll either make pretty good runs in the NCAA tournament or they'll get bounced in the first weekend. I, I think that's kind of how it goes in March. I mean, some some years we'll get uh, these like high score in action games and then some, some years we'll get like a 60 to 50, uh, like round of 32 match. Uh, so I, I think it could go either way for these teams. Uh, and, you know, just the inconsistency that goes along with that uh, makes me question how far either of these teams will go. This I'll begin with Kentucky. Uh, this Kentucky team is just so odd. You know they face yeah. Planet home against UNC Wilmington. Um, they um, outduel North Carolina, who's a top ten team the next week. Um, they win on the road at Auburn, a very hard place to play. Then they lose against LSU. Um, it's just a a crazy roller coaster this team has been on. 
Um, but on Saturday, you see what the offensive ceiling looks like. They really went through the roof. I mean, uh, they, they, they were up in the trees of how high they were uh, in terms of, of, of shooting and, and um, getting everything to work offensively. Um, it, who, uh, gosh, I can't remember what his name. Uh, Edwards. Um, Edwards for them. Uh, Five-star. Uh, gosh, he, he's not had a good year. No, um, but I had can't his, remember what his name is either. Had his best one on, on yes. Saturday. Um, let me look up his name real quick because uh, I can't – I want to give him credit because he played really well. Um, Justin Edwards. There you go. Yeah. Um, Justin Edwards, 28 points. He's been struggling all year. That's a, one of their top-rated guys. I think he was the top-rated guy. he might have been their best pull this um, year, yep. And in a performance like that, um, that really just shows how talented this Kentucky team can be any night. Uh, but the problem is, and I've said it over the last couple of weeks, uh, Kentucky is one of the biggest boom-bust teams in college basketball. Yep. And the, the team they played against this, too. This Kentucky team has proven to you that they can beat anyone in the country. They can beat UNC. They can beat Auburn. But, oh, boy, they can lose to UNC Wilmington and LSU, who's a team barely above 500. Um, so, come tournament time, that's not a recipe for success. This no. team's bad defensively, um, a, a sub-70 sub adjusted defensive rating. Um, this offense is what's going to have to carry them. But offense doesn't click every single game. It's very rare that um, a team just goes through a – offensive streak where they're able to put up the same amount of points in production every night against different defenses. That's what scares me about this Kentucky team. I think they can beat anyone. They could also lose to anyone. Alabama, on the other hand, is very similar. Um, I think Nate Oates is a very, very good coach. Um, I think the way Alabama plays is very unique to them, and it works. However, in games like you saw on Saturday, and really against Florida earlier in the week as well, it shows how boomer bust they are too. Um, if they don't shoot well and they get locked down defensively, uh, they're not that good. And especially if teams drive inside and attack the basket, they're really, really not good. Um, so that's why I was surprised Kentucky was able to pull away so, uh, so you know, by such a wide margin because um, they did it all from perimeter shooting, and Alabama's struggled this season in the paint the most. Um, it was a bad, bad showing for Alabama. Um, I mean, I don't need to tell you that, um, but um, I just think you see two teams that are on very similar trajectories. If they don't shoot the ball, you know, million times better than the other team, I have a hard time seeing how both of those teams continue to advance in the tournament. Now, let's talk about a team that focuses on defense and not offense, and that's Houston and, and their matchup against Baylor. Uh, L.J. Cryer, a former Baylor Bear. Uh, scored 15 points against his former team, including six free throws in overtime as second-ranked and Big 12-leading Houston beat Baylor 82-76 on Saturday. Cougars led 41-25 at halftime, scoring 13 points off 11 Baylor turnovers. A spot of uh, 10 of 11 shots is, is, are on, on those turnovers. Um, the Cougars, 24-3 now, 11-3 in Big 12, uh, blew a 16-point lead at halftime. Baylor fought back. Jamal Shedd gets a buzzer beater to end the game, gets called back, they go to overtime. Cougars' defense was dominant in that, in that overtime period. Um, ripped the hearts out of the Baylor faithful. Um, is Houston now the best team in college basketball? I still don't think so. 
Uh, and, and there's a couple there's a couple things I think uh, th- I think they vaulted to second best, but I still don't think they're better than UConn. I, I just I think UConn is more well rounded uh, on both sides of the ball than Houston is. Uh, it's a great win. It's a statement win, and it shows they can play games that are high, you know, high in the score rating. I mean, they get into the 80s in that game, so that's big to know they can play a game that high. I didn't, I didn't know that they could, you know, hang with a team <laughs> in the 80s because they they haven't had to. I mean, they mm-hmm. you know they've won these 62, 58, you know, like 52, 48. Like, you know, they've had these low scoring games, so it's huge for them to know that they can score in a game in the 80s and they can win those games. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just I don't think they they have the offense that UConn does defensively by far the best team in the nation. And I don't yeah. I don't know if it's relatively even close. I mean, between their their length and, and the way they can jump into passing lanes, create turnovers, create chaos, it, it's the best defense in the country. But they lack offensively still. Uh, compared to what UConn has. Uh, UConn able to score basically triple digits every night, it feels like. Houston can't do that yet. They haven't shown us they can do that yet. So for me, it's still UConn, but that gap is certainly closed. Yeah, UConn I I think is still the best. Like you said, Houston, uh, just on the defensive side, I mean, I I think they're bar none the best defense in the country right now. Uh, I think that puts them a little bit in in the conversation, but – just the consistency, like you said, on both sides uh, is is big on why I, I still am a UConn believer. I'm still surprised that they dropped to third in the AP poll, dropped behind Purdue as well, which which kind of threw me off. Um, I guess one one thing that uh, sort of stands out about the top. I mean, all of all the top probably like five, six, seven teams have really bad losses uh, that, of course, kind of take them away or take away from the rest of their resume. Like we saw UConn go down. We saw Purdue lose to a Nebraska team. Uh, we've seen Houston lose a big one at Kansas. That one doesn't sound as bad as the others, but it's it's still not a good one. Uh, I, I just think UConn is the latest to the party. I mean, they went so long without having a bad loss, and then they take one on the road at Creighton. Uh, so, I, I mean, I, I still think UConn – uh, it is the best team in the country. I, I just think it's sort of like a recency thing. Like, oh, they're the latest team to slip up. Let's bump them down a little bit. Yeah, Houston was ranked as the number one team in the AP poll today, trailed by Purdue and UConn. Um, look, I think Houston has the best defense in college basketball, and that's not really a, a hot take or anything. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> look, I, I was really impressed with them on Saturday. Watched the whole game. Um, uh, so I had Houston minus two and a half. They hit the three at the buzzer. I was like, oh, my gosh. Uh, gets called back, but it doesn't matter. They ended up figuring it out in overtime. But um, besides that, uh, Houston defensively, I think, can cause a lot of problems for almost every team in the country. Um, I, I Honestly, my angle with them recently has been I don't think they have uh, the offensive, uh, offensive production in the paint. I still don't think they do, but – uh, I, I think they get it done on the defensive side, uh, I mean, where it almost makes up for it, and it really does. Um, you know, Yves Messi for uh, Baylor, a guy that's going to be playing in the NBA next year, um, struggled at times, and, and it's because of how dominant Houston was in the paint. And Zach Eady and Donovan Klingen uh, are not um, Yves Messi. I think they're better, um, but I think Houston can match up with anyone in the country and impose their will. Um, can you imagine if Houston and Kentucky played what that game would look like? Oh, man. Um, it's it's, it's going to go either real low or real high. That's, that's about <laughs> it. I, well, I, I, I'd fear it'd go in, in Houston's favor pretty big because I, I think Houston causes so many matchup problems they for do. any offense. Mm-hmm. You could throw Kentucky out there. You could throw Alabama out there. 
I think defense wins championships. I know that's the cliche saying, <laughs> but Houston, I mean, they're they're so strong on that end. I really have a hard time seeing who can get by that. And you saw Kansas be able to cruise, but that was at home. Um, so I, I think I'm not ready to say Houston is the best team in college basketball, but I do think they're trending in, in the right direction. Um, real quick before we head to a break. Um, as it stands right now, SEC has about six teams slated for this uh, tournament. Um, Mississippi State, not far behind. I think they could definitely get that seventh bid. Um, A&M and Ole Miss, though, they have been trending in the wrong direction as of late, um, basically on life alert right now. Is there any path for the Rebels and Aggies? If there is, they're going to need some help, I think, first of all, from some teams around them on the bubble. Um, but also they're, they're going to have to both win out. Uh, and, and that means there's only a path for one of them because yeah. they close the season with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> for both of them, you got to win out. Um, still, you know, a ranked game for each. I think they could sway things a little bit if you can get another quality win. Um, for Ole Miss, they have Alabama next out. Now, I don't know if I'd want to play that Nate Oates coach team in that next game, um, but they do have that chance to get another quality win um, and, and beat Alabama and maybe get back into that. They obviously would have to win out. A&M has South Carolina next up. Um, so another ranked game again, another quality win. They already have a better resume than Ole Miss does anyway, mm-hmm. uh, with wins over Kentucky and Tennessee. So I think if you beat South Carolina, maybe you put yourself back in that conversation. But again, you got to win out. And this A and M team has not shown. Neither of these teams have shown uh, that they have, are going to have any chance of winning out. Um, mm-hmm. So I doubt it. But again, not impossible and not a terrible path should they either one of them win out. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be a lot of uh, finger crossing and you know taking care of the business on on your own plate. Uh, I think I think that's about the only way for either of them. And I, I think, like you said, I think it does swing more towards uh, favoring A and M. I think they're the better team out of the two, and I, I think they they can get things done and get further in the SEC tournament itself. If it came down uh, to questions like that, um, you know, I think the only thing that Ole Miss would have on them is like the win number which I mean of course they started 13 and 0 have been pretty lackluster since and that was maybe the softest schedule uh, pre-SEC play that I think any of us have ever seen uh, so that re- that really doesn't help them but uh, yeah I-, I think it's more likely that A&M gets it done especially since they don't have to play Alabama and they get South Carolina at home too uh, I-, I think that's about the only realistic shot out of those two. If the tournament committee uh, did selection Sunday on uh, January 1st, Ole Miss would be a pretty high seed. Um, unfortunately, it's in March and not January. I don't see a path for this team anymore. Mm. I think they're not a good team, personally. I think what Chris Beard has done has been very applauded. Um, you know, bringing a lot of guys in and making that team go from nothing to something. Um, but I don't think they're a good basketball team. I don't. And they're not a team that should be in the tournament. Um they don't have any key wins. Um, and, look, I mean, Memphis was impressive in, in December. Um, but this team also beat Detroit Mercy, who uh, won their first game last week uh, by a free throw. So, um, the Rebels, I don't see a path. Now, for the Aggies, I could see it with the Kentucky win and Tennessee win. Uh, that's like hanging on by a thread. Um, but this team has to win out. I don't see how that's possible. You'd have to win two or three ga- or, uh, two games or three games in the SEC tournament as well. I just don't see how they make it. Um, right now, I don't see a path for either of them unless the Aggies win out. When we come back, we'll talk about the Lady Vols challenging the Tigers on Sunday.
Ever been the coach who realized the team's gear just wasn't up to par? Well, if I'm being honest, that was me. Just a downright irresponsible and plain bad coach. Then, SM Athletics changed the game. I want you to picture this. I walk into their store, a coach with a vision. SM Athletics didn't just see a coach. They saw a team's potential. And they delivered custom uniforms so striking. Our team's spirit soared. From cutting edge apparel to top-notch equipment, SM Athletics transformed our presence. No more unreliable online orders or envying the other team's style. SM Athletics stands for quality, design, and on-time delivery every time. Coaches, elevate your team with SM Athletics. Call 865. 966-3434 or visit smathletics.com. Get the best for your team. Delivered right and on time. So, elevate your team's game by contacting SM Athletics today. Are you in need of a smile makeover? Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Costa at Knoxville Smiles. And if you're ready to improve your smile, replace teeth that are missing, make your dentures tighter, add implants to your mouth, whatever you may need, we're here to discuss a wide range of easy, pain-free cosmetic and restorative procedures that can create a glowing, radiant smile that you've always dreamed of. Don't wait any longer. The time is now. Call us today at Knoxville Smiles and schedule your appointment at 865-539-1776 or go online to KnoxvilleSmiles.com. eBay Motors here for the ride, elbow grease and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. Back here on Overtime, rounding out a great Monday episode here on Overtime. We appreciate you joining us. Um, let's talk about the Lady Vols. Uh, uh, challenging the Tigers on Sunday, ultimately fall a determined Tennessee squad challenge number 10 LSU and close the gap to within one in the fourth quarter before the Tigers prevailed 70 to, uh, 75-60 to in front of a season-high crowd of 15,281 on Sunday afternoon at Food City Center. Uh, UT now now drops to 16 and 10 and, and, and overall play nine and five in the SEC. Uh, trimmed LSU's lead to 50, um, 52 to 51 with about seven minutes remaining, um, but could get no closer to the Tigers, uh, who now improved to 24 and four and 11 three in SEC play the rest of the way. Uh, fifth year guard Rakia Jackson paced Tennessee for 16 points and nine rebounds. Eclipsing the 1,000-point scoring mark with the program in only 53 contests. Congratulations to her. Um, redshirt senior Tamari Key was also in double figures, contributing 10 to the big off- offensive um, ledger. Um, LSU was led in scoring by Haley Van Lith, a, a person we've seen here a couple times at Tennessee. Um, torch us. She put up 26. Uh, Michaela Williams with 15. Angel Reese with a double-double, 11 and 15. Um, Dawson, takeaways from the Lady Vols loss. Well, look, this this team still has fight. I mean, this is again, it's, it's similar to South Carolina. Again, I think the South Carolina game a little bit closer than this one at times. But again, yeah. every time LSU threatened to kind of pull away, the Lady Vols pulled back in. And, and again, it comes down to the fourth quarter. Again, I think this team just kind of ran out of yeah. gas. Uh, it felt like again, 
Um, you know, LSU, I mean, they're the defending champs for a reason. Uh, they have personnel to match up with any team in the country. Uh, they replace Alexis Morris, their star guard from last year, with Haley Van Lith, who, mm-hmm. I mean, almost is arguably a better scorer, mm-hmm. uh, pure scorer anyway, than, than Morris was. So, I mean, between her, between Reese, uh, between Johnson, uh, Flaugé Johnson, who I think played, again, a little bit yesterday, not a ton, um, but then obviously uh, Williams that you mentioned, uh, that's a nightmare for almost any team to try to come up against. Uh, but the Lady Vols hung in. I mean, they hung in for a lot of that game in a game that, again, I don't know how many people expected them to be in mm-hmm. considering the season that they've had. And they show time and time again over the last couple of weeks that they've got some fight. They mm-hmm. found something here in the last couple of weeks of the year. Um, and, you know, even if you lose this game, you weren't expected to win this game, I don't think. Um, but you at least you fought, you kept it close, um, and you showed that you can, again, play with most teams in the country, I think, mm-hmm. going forward. The role players fell short. I mean, this was brutal from a few of them, uh, yeah. several in single digits that yeah. you just aren't used to having in single digits. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Jasmine Powell, eight. I think she had eight points. Sarah Puckett had seven. Yeah. Uh, you know, Hollingshed had four. I mean, compared to her last three outings back yeah. to Arkansas, uh, just not what you need. I mean, you're not going to mm-hmm. win a game with two players in double figures most of the time, yeah. uh, especially when the second player in double figures <laughs> only has ten. So I mean, yeah. and again, no straight to Tamari Key at all. Great effort by Tamari Key. Yes, she yeah. looked great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, no straight to her. But when you know she's your second leading scorer with ten points, you're not going to win many games, let alone against the number thirteen ranked defending national champions. Yeah. Um, so the role players <clears throat> just could not get the job done. You're going to need more out of them mm-hmm. going forward. And um, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, and this team, I don't know what it is, but it felt like yesterday too. A couple calls don't go their way late third quarter, early fourth quarter, and they just fell apart. They panicked. Mm-hmm. It's like they just they saw that and they were like, oh, game's over. I mean, you know, they started to panic and freak out as if the, the game had gotten away, uh, whereas they just stayed in the game. It happened against South Carolina too. You know, a couple calls don't go your way. All of a sudden, South Carolina's up five, and you go into a timeout, and then they come out and score another eight points, and all of a sudden you're down double digits. Yeah. Uh, this team panics mm-hmm. when adversity hits them, uh, and if they could just stay calm when, when a couple calls don't go your way, a couple things don't go your way, just stay calm and keep playing your style of basketball. I think they'd be in more of these games. The problem is yesterday it just snowballed mm-hmm. out of control. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it, it felt, like you said, it felt really a bunch like South Carolina where, uh, you know, you played close for the first 30, then you, you just you just lose the grip and get punished late. Uh, you know, I, I, I thought Tamari Key played really well. I, th- I think she uh, handled Angel Reese pretty well scoring-wise, but, again, Angel Reese with 15 rebounds, seven of those being offensive, uh, is, is not a winning uh, mixture, as well as both uh, Jewel Spear and Jasmine Powell combining uh, here 0 of 8 from 3 and mm. 5 of 29 from the field Same overall. Same problem you had so, against South Carolina. Yes, yeah. yeah. Some of these these role players, like Jewel Spear, she's she's had a pretty pretty solid year so far, especially scoring-wise uh, As after the turn of the new year. Uh, her her drop-off has, has been sort of painful to watch for the Lady Vols. Uh, you know, just at this point in the year, you can't get – outplayed at the guard position like that night in and night out yeah another tough fourth quarter that was one of the the things I was going to lead off with Um, you play so well up until that point you're fighting you're staying within arm's length Um, you're looking for that opportunity to go on one of those quick runs 5-0 and and just you know kind of take the game from there Uh, did not have that opportunity in this one when you're facing off against a South Carolina or an LSU um, they've got personnel to be able to withstand a comeback and also um, know when there's blood in the water. And that's what they um, – both instances now in the fourth quarter. Um, and, and as Jace alludes to, 
um, you know, poor shooting and, and when you from people you really needed most. Um, as a team, you shoot three of 18 from three. Um, and that South Carolina game, I think it was, what, Two seven? for 17. Two for mm-hmm. 17. So very yeah. similar numbers Almost identical. There. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then Jason Powell, three of 17. That really hurts. Um, and, and Jewel Spear, two of 12. Two of your leaders on this team um, combining for five made baskets out of uh, 29. That's yeah. that's tough. There's um, and, and it's and as you said, Tamari Key putting up 10. That's great for her on a normal night. Like that's what you want from her. Um, but when your other two leaders are struggling, um, you've got to find some production other than Rakia Jackson, and and you weren't able to find that. Um, so I think this team does have a lot of fight in them. You've seen that in two instances now against mm-hmm. two of the top teams in the country and in the SEC. Um, but the road doesn't get any easier. Um, so you've got to find a way to withstand a, a full game and be able to win the fourth quarter against these good teams or or March will not be nice to the Lady Vols, especially when there, there's so much on the line, the stakes are at its highest. You've got to be able to convert in the biggest moments. Yeah, it, it especially hurts you because now new bracketology has you traveling to Iowa City to play Caitlin Clark in hey. Iowa in nope. potentially a second-round matchup. Which would be um, – and look, uh, she – She'd be she's good for all four quarters, so uh, exactly. yeah, not yeah. just the fourth. Yeah. So, all right, that's going to wrap us up here on overtime. We appreciate you tuning in along with us. We'll be back tomorrow to break down the baseball vols um, upcoming midweek matchup.